All right, y'all, let's pray together. Um, I think the theme that we'll use for praying together is how we began. Oh, praise him. So let's start there and see what God does. Here we go. Lord, um, we are still, uh, we are silent, uh, we are listening. We're so grateful that prayer um, is answering speech. It's not primary speech. Uh, primary speech is you, your words. And so, Lord, we thank you that you spoke this world into being. We're so thankful that you spoke us into being. That, Lord, we heard words of good words, of, of victory, won by you. At first, it sounded like a faraway message coming from a faraway place, and it seemed so strange to our ears, and yet you spoke us back to life. So, Lord, we do praise you. And yes, there's over 10,000 reasons to. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would give us one that sinks deep into our bones. And may it even be as you, as you speak to us in your word this morning. Or in what we sing in the Lord's Supper, or in the kind smile of someone's face this morning, and someone welcoming us back to life this morning. And so, Lord, we, we want, we've come here because we have various levels of need, we have various levels of awareness that uh, praising you is everything. And praising you looks like confession. And praising you looks like being devastated. And praising you looks like being honest. And praising you looks like joy. And praising you looks like love. And praising you looks like messy relationships. And praising you looks like being confused and uncertain. But praising you, it's all done before you. And it's all brought to you. And so this morning, right now, we need to praise you and Lord, maybe we need to praise you with our anger, and we need to praise you with our sin, and we need to praise you with something that hurts us and harms us and something that's bothering us. And so this morning, right now, hear our prayers as we praise you. Lord, we want others to praise you, our loved ones to praise you. And so we know maybe they've asked us to pray for them in certain areas. And we know maybe stuff that's going on that uh, they might not even be seeing. And we know maybe needs that they've shared with us that's broken their heart or that are struggling with. So, oh, Lord, hear our prayers as we praise you by praying for others and bringing them before you. Because who gets glory? The giver always gets glory. 
And so that praises you. So, Lord, give to these folks that we're praying for now. And, Lord, we ask and we're seeking that we're making new friends, having gospel conversations with people that don't know you and need to praise you, that don't know you and need you, need the heartbeat of the universe, need the reason for which they were made, need to experience a cleansing and healing and the forgiveness of sins and the declaration of a warm, merciful, gracious welcome from you. And for a mercy that's always more. And for a new being to be made. And so, Lord, we ask, as we pray for those that don't know you, And finally, Lord, we pray for all of us here. Pray for the city of Waco. We pray for your church, that you would rescue your church from pitiful praises. And Lord, would you graciously, kindly, mercifully Lead us to Jesus and his salvation for everything. And Lord, would you gather a movement of people that want to figure out what that looks like in church and what that looks like in engaging the culture and what that looks like in marriage and what that looks like in the Christian life and what that looks like in loving others and what that looks like at work and what that works like in the city hall and what that looks like at the state and federal level, Lord, please raise up a movement of gospel-believing people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we missed y'all. Um, there's a couple of times over the years, two times that I can think of, that I've said I've missed you and really didn't mean it. I know, I know that's bad, but I'm confessing it now, right? <laughs> um, but this time I do mean it. I, I really do. Uh, worshiping with you last Sunday was so good for our soul, my soul. <laughs> I couldn't help it, but I just sat there because we sat in the back. I couldn't help it, but I just sat there and watched everything. And I watched you. And what did I see when I watched you? I saw, this is what I saw. I saw friends. I saw new friends. And I saw old friends. And I saw teammates. I saw a team of people that were learning how to build their messy lives around Jesus and his salvation. I saw a team of people that are learning to be friends. I saw a team of people that's learning to be about participating in what God is 
doing and reaching and renewing as many people as possible in Waco. I saw a growing team of people that did what C.S. Lewis said. They look at each other and they say, what? You too? What else did I see? I saw you experience God. It's breathtaking. Now, some of you experience God like a good Presbyterian, right? You're the garrison demoniac conversion. You're clothed and in your right mind, and so you're like, I'm marveling right now, right? <laughs> Others of you... <laughs> Others of you, you experienced God like a good old Pentecostal. You know, you once were blind and now you see, you're like, I see, marvel. You had, wow, ever you had passion or whether you had your right mind, whatever it is, it didn't matter, but I saw it. And while watching you, I couldn't help it, but I felt, and I'm not kidding, I felt in the back of that row at seat, I don't know what it was, the outside seat, I don't know. Ted, where was I sitting? I was sitting right in front of you, right? Honestly, I felt deep in my bones, all hail King Jesus. Oh, God, what a great team. Let us run. Please let us run. Let us in the game. During my break, I want to especially thank the staff. Why? Because you are the best damn staff in the world. That's why. Absolutely. <laughs> Not kidding. Uh, your love, your loyalty, your teamwork, your unity, your passion for Jesus, your passion for the mission, your gifts, your talents. It's awesome. I also want to thank the leadership of Redeemer, the elders and deacons. Why? For your fixed gospel vision. Leaders right now are falling down all around us. Fixing your eyes on Jesus is no guarantee in church leadership. No guarantee. Redeemer, you need to know you have elders and deacons that fix their eyes on Jesus. That that is a Fixed gospel vision. There's a flexible methodology to that. Some are liked, some are not. But you need to know that the core of this church has always been a fixed gospel vision. And these leaders are that. And I also want to thank you by leading, by loving. I really do. Loving me, loving my family, and loving this Redeemer family. Uh, you need to know elders, deacons. You need to know church that... Other pastors genuinely are jealous of the type of relationships that are here on the leadership. In fact, it's so foreign. It's so strange to them. They can't get that. They can't understand how I have my friends in the church. Because most leadership teams are absolutely dysfunctional. I serve on the Ministerial Relations Committee of our Presbytery. I know firsthand that to be true. But we have a redemptive team. Do we agree on everything? Heck no. 
I've been on summer, so I got to really watch. Sometimes I get, I might get a little salty because I've been on a break for a while. No. No, we do not. But a gospel vision anchors us in a deep friendship to work things out the way we need to go, drives us. I also want to thank those who preached and led worship this summer. You are so gifted. So gifted. And your dear brothers, especially want to thank Colin, my right-hand man. Love this dude. I want to thank Way, Scotty, Matt. Unbelievable. Sat there while Matt preached. I was like, unbelievable. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote... Um, one of, the, one of the classics of preaching, and in it he said, it's almost like he was being interviewed, like an interviewer came up to him. He wrote it in the early 1980s, and the guy was like asking him, you know, so what do you think about your own preaching? <laughs> it's classic. You know what he said? I wouldn't cross the street to hear myself preach. <laughs> He's considered the greatest preacher since Spurgeon. I will cross the street to hear you all preach. Absolutely. Also, now that I'm re-entering ministry again, I want you to know something that's gone deeper into my bones this summer, um, in a good way, in a freeing way. So I'm not, this is not a false humility way, this is not a stupid way. So if you don't know me, you might take it that way, it's really not. You need to know that I know God doesn't need me. You need to know that, that I know that. So, he can use a rock if he wants to. And so I have this new ministry creed that I say when I get up and when I go to bed and I think about it, and it's really freeing. You ready? All God needs is a rock. All God needs is a nobody. I mean, honestly, since I, 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 this, how did this come about? Well, when I was, when I got done with writing the book, I've had all this, like, you need to, you need to promote yourself. You need to do this. 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 And I'm like, I would rather crawl over broken glass. All right, there's also a tradition at Redeemer that after every summer break, I share a couple snapshots of our summer. Uh, I decided not to do that this year. No, no. Are you kidding me? Of course I am. I'm going to give you a couple snapshots. Here's snapshot number one. For the first time in 25 years, including our years in Dallas, we did not go to Schlitterbahn. I know. I, I know. The owner of Schlitterbahn called me. He really didn't. But he should. He absolutely should, and he should give us forever for the rest of our life free season tickets. But the summer's still not over, so we still might make it down there. I mean, I feel like we have to make it down there. It just wouldn't be right. Right, Ty? Well, maybe we won't with that enthusiasm. Snapshot number two, what did we do? We went 11 days to a happy place, 11 days to a very happy place. We went to the beach. It's my happy place. It's my wife's happy place. It's where we honeymooned. We didn't go to that exact place, but we went to the beach, and we swam, and we body surfed, and we snorkeled, and there was this, like, uh, what kind of rock is that down there? Yeah, like a reef. 
And so all these fish would gather out there, and we were able to snort right there where we were. We fished, Ty and Titus caught like 36 fish right off the dock, like right where we were staying. We watched the waves roll. We watched the clouds. We watched the people. Oh, wait. No, we didn't watch the people because we were at a private beach. (laughs) It was so awesome. Uh, We ate incredible food. We drank incredible adult beverages and coffee. Uh, We saw this huge turtle come on the beach at night. Uh, We were in the water. We saw a shark actually had to tell the boys. I had to say, hey, boys, come here. You know, the mask and the thing out, and they pop their head up, and they look at me. I go, yeah, yo, come here. And confused look on their faces, grabbed them, pulled them aside, and there was a shark. It was really cool, though, actually. Um, we swam in a pool that was not but three steps out the, where we were staying. It was 11 days of being together, 11 days of enjoying each other until the last day. But it was a good 11 days. I won't bring that one up, honey, for your sake. Uh, Where were we? We were in Boca Raton, Florida, because of the love and the kindness and the friendship of one of you letting us stay at your place. It was phenomenal. Did you know that Boca Raton means rat's mouth in Spanish? I'm just saying, it doesn't match the place. I don't know how that worked. It's near Miami. I thought we were back in New England. I thought we were back in Philly. I thought we were back in everybody there talked like Rocky. Yo, you know? Gold chains, all that kind of stuff. Everybody drove like they were from Boston. Oh, my word. It's like get over or get out of the way. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, We were there. We're on the beaches. Um, They didn't commercialize it. Uh, They had uh, places to these parks to walk and ride bikes and run. Uh, And then just, you know, you had these, like, $50 million homes. It was so funny to pretend we were one of them for 11 days, man. I think they realized real quick I wasn't from one of them. Um, Some of these houses are only used once or twice a year, so my plan is this. I want to introduce myself and say, hey, I want to find out who they are. I'm going to to call. I actually am going to do this. I'm going to call them and say, hey, I'm a pastor, which means I'm safe. You can trust me. I'd be more than happy. Our family would be more than happy to house sit for just a couple of days every year for free. No big deal. I had a breakthrough, too, third snapshot. I had a breakthrough with my neck in Florida. On the second day we were there, I simply had it. I want you to imagine uh, uh, flying down there. Flying down there, uh, we're in the back of the plane. We are the last seats in the plane, and I don't know what is up with everybody shutting their windows these days. used to fly, the windows would be open. When, When they shut their windows, I now have no fixed reference point. And I knew it. I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. So here I am in the back, all the windows are shut, and the plane started backing up, and it started going like this to me. You know what saved me? That little fasten your seatbelt sign, ka-ching, ka-ching. I looked up at it, and there's a dot in the middle of it, and I just looked and found a fixed point. So anyhow, you can imagine, I'm just sick of doing this for a year and a half, sick of it. The pain, uh, so what I did is I went to the forbidden ground zero of where I'm, you know, I'm not supposed to touch, and, you know, I don't know, we don't know what's going on in there, and I said, that's it, and I just started digging around in it, and I got relief. It was short-lived, but I got relief, and that told me something huge, that I don't have this mysterious vestibular brain thing going on. It's mechanical. 
So I'm seeing a great chiropractor, chiropractor who does alignments, and I'm seeing this, this woman that has the strongest hands I have ever seen in my life who does a skilled manipulator of the muscular skeletal system, and she goes to town on me. And so please pray that that ends up being what finally clicks and heals. The last snapshot is this. Ty and Titus started a bad gambling habit while we were down there. How do I know they started a bad gambling habit? Because in the back of the seat one day, I heard, that's 10 times. And I turned around, and I go, what's 10 times? Uh, that's 10 times that you've said so far, what the Sam Hill? <laughs> They've been betting on how many times I would say, what the Sam Hill? <laughs> that was enlightening. That was absolutely enlightening. So I don't know what we're up to, but I think we got up to over 100 on that trip and yeah, so I'm working on that, too. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. We're going to read this text. When we get done, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do for about six weeks and then what we're going to do in the fall, okay? So let's stand to hear God's word. Uh, the way this text breaks down, you'll see there's two texts, 33, 34. In 33, God tells Moses what's going to happen. In 34, it happens, okay? So here's what God says. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now it happens, okay? This is him telling them, now it happens. So Moses cut two tablets of stone while the like the first. And he rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took his hand, two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to a third and fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. We ask that you would give us words that are spoken into our soul in such a way that we actually praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so not much is certain today, right? Not much. Uh, you don't like it. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. Uh, you feel it. Everyone feels it. You don't know what to do. I mean, everyone doesn't know what to do. Those that say they know what to do are lying because they don't know what to do. Uh, this is why a growing number of Christians and churches and pastors and ministry leaders are actually reporting signs of another pandemic that's even more contagious than COVID. Um, it's a spiritual pandemic that's sweeping the country, a spiritual pandemic that's sweeping the United States and sweeping the world. What are the symptoms of the spiritual pandemic? Uh, the reports are that the symptoms are very powerful, very strong, very debilitating. They get down to the roots of your being and kind of shatter things a little bit. There's this deep, deep feeling of being disconnected from God and disconnected from each other and disconnected from the church and disconnected from the mission of the church. 
One thing, however, is absolutely certain amidst all of this uncertainty. It's more certain than two plus two is four. COVID has shown it to be certain. The cultural chaos has shown it to be certain. And the spiritual pandemic has shown it to be certain. What is it? Our view of God must change. It's time. It's time to leave the kiddie pool and swim in the deep end. If one thing that's been revealed for all of us is that we're swimming in the kiddie pool, and it's time to push away and learn to swim in the deep end. I read a book this summer called Gentle and Lonely, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by a guy named Dan Ortland. He's in our tradition. He's in our denomination. It's been added. I keep this top secret book list. It's this top secret book list that I keep, and it's titled Books I Never Stop Reading. This book is now added to that list. It's a phenomenal book, breathtaking book. I want to buy tons of them and hand them out to everybody if I could. But in that, while reading that, deeply inspired, moved, led, whatever you want to call it, to actually do a six-part series on that. And that's what we're going to do today, and that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. What are we going to do in the fall? We're actually going to do something that we've never done before. We're actually going to preach two books at the same time, simultaneously, together. We're going to preach Judges and Galatians, one one week, one the other, maybe both in the same week. It's never been done before. I've never done it before, but I'm absolutely on fire to do that. And the text is going to be, I mean, what we're going to do, what's the, what's the series title? It's Modern Messes Meet Ancient Grace. That's what's sticking to me from reading those two books. I've been translating Galatians all summer. It's been absolutely riveting and reaching and renewing for me, energizing for me. And I thought, you know, what book in the Bible is like reflective of the way we feel, the way we're living, the way things are going right now. Judges. Absolutely judges. So we're going to use judges for modern messes, and we're going to use both for ancient grace. So that's what we're going to do. We'll talk more about that later. But here's our deal today. Our view of God must change. Your view of God must change. My view of God must change. Look at the person to your right. Look at the person to your left. Their view of God must change. It's time to leave the kiddie pool. It's time to swim in the deep end. So in Exodus 30, 17, 33, 17, Moses pleads with God. God, oh God, show me your glory. So what does God show Moses? What's God's deepest glory? In other words, who is God really? Who is he? Church people in the Reformed tradition, which is us, if you didn't know that, that's, that's a tradition, a long tradition. It's a classical Protestant tradition that goes, goes all the way back to the Protestant Reformation. And there's another tradition in there that's kind of in the same tradition, and we could lump them together. If we were, say, church people, there's another group called traditional evangelicals. We're all kind of in the same group. Uh, we say things like, 
Who is God really? We say things like, God is what? Holy. God is great. We sing hymns like, how great thou art. And holiness and greatness shape our worship. Private and public, it shapes and informs and structures how we feel you connect and think you connect with God. It shapes how we do church. It shapes the Christian life. It shapes your Christian life. It shapes how you do community. It shapes what you think the mission of the church is. It shapes how we engage the culture. Who is God, really? Holy and great? Church people in the charismatic tradition say things like, God is spirit. God is power. Signs and wonders. And if we're in this tradition, we sing, we sing things like, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. The spirit and power shapes their worship, private and public, shapes the way they do church, shapes the way they do community, shapes the Christian life, shapes the mission of the church, shapes the way the church engages with the culture. Are you with me? Who is God really? A tradition called the Roman Catholic tradition says things like God is authority. God is mystery, which is why he's sacramental. This tradition sees things, sings things, or chants things like I has not seen or one bread, one body, and authority and mystery shapes the way they do church and worship, shapes the way they do community, shapes the way they do mission, shapes the way they engage culture. You with me? Who is God really? Church people in the new progressive woke tradition today say things like God is just, God is equity. God is social action. And this tradition sings or marches to, we shall overcome. Silence is violence. Justice and activism shapes worship, private and public, and how you connect with God, how you do church, how you do community, the Christian life, the mission of the church, how the church engages with the culture. Are you with me? Who is God? Really? It's time to swim in the deep end. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. What does God show Moses? The Lord, the Lord is translated, I am, I am merciful and gracious. This is who I am. As Ortland says, these are the first words out of God's own mouth. The first words, merciful, gracious. 
not holy, not grace, not authority, not mystery, not spirit, not just, not social action, merciful and gracious. Does it mean he's not these other things? Please don't. He said, of course he is. The issue in this text is what is the deep end of God? What's his deepest heart? What's his deepest glory? And God answers, merciful and gracious. Old Testament scholars call this passage the Mount Everest of Old Testament revelation. You know what that means? That in all the Old Testament, in all the Old Testament Bible, this is Mount Everest. If you want to know who God is, if you want to go into the deep end of who God is, if you want to go to the high point of knowing God, if you want to know who he is, what makes God God, this is it. This is why an Old Testament giant, a guy named Brueggemann, says that what's happening here is so fundamental to Israel's understanding of God that it's, quote, Israel's creed. In other words, Bathsheba, who is God? Bathsheba says, merciful, gracious. Rahab, who is God? Merciful, gracious. David, who is God? Merciful, gracious. God, who are you? I'm merciful. I'm gracious. Think about it, please. How would a God of mercy and grace shape our worship, private and public? How would a God of mercy and grace shape our community? How would a God of mercy and grace shape the Christian life? How would a God of mercy and grace shape mission? How would, a, how would the mercy and grace of God shape the church's engagement with culture? How would it? The answer is, I don't know. But you know what? I can tell you this. I am absolutely committed to learning how. This church is absolutely committed to figuring this thing out. We must leave the kiddie pool. We must learn to swim in the deep end. Some of you wonder, like, okay, what kind of changes happen when that happens? Flexible methodology, fixed theology. Our view of God must change. It's time to leave the kiddie pool. The question is, though, how do we do this? What do we do? How do we do this? Well, the first answer from this text is completely unexpected. I mean, it's breathtaking. I was like, I didn't expect that. The Lord, verse 6, passed before him and proclaimed. Do you see that? The Lord passed before him and preached. The Lord passed before him and preached. The Lord passed before him and preached a sermon to Moses. The Lord passed before him and preached words of mercy and grace into Moses' soul. The Lord passed before him and spoke him back to life with mercy and grace. How do we swim in the deep end? It's crazy. By listening to a sermon, 
by preaching. I mean, who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. None of us saw that coming, right? So according to God, knowing God with clarity in your mind and knowing him with realness in your heart, knowing God that the deepest glory of God, to have the deepest glory of God actually pass before you and be spoken into your soul is a matter of preaching. In a sermon, God passes before you. He shows up. It's breathtaking. It's so normal. It's so ordinary. It's so unspectacular. It's so not a new technique. It's so not a spiritual secret. It's so not a hidden secret access point to activate God. It's so real. Ortland says it this way, the Christian life from one angle is, a long, is the long journey of letting our natural assumptions about who God is over many decades fall away and be slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. This is hard work. It takes lots of sermons and a lot of suffering to believe that God's deepest heart for you is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. How do we swim in the deep end? Answer, go to church. Answer, God passes before you in a sermon. Second answer is strange. So the first answer is unexpected. The second answer is strange. How do we do this? How do we swim in the deep end? I'm just going to give you the strange answer because there's no other way to get around it. By a passing. Uh, Jeff, what did you say? I know, I know. By a passing. A what? A passing. Four times in Exodus 33 through 34, God says, God passes before Moses or passes by Moses. Both of them are used interchangeably. Four times it's said. Now Mark who's an eyewitness of Jesus and one of the classic writers of the Bible in the New Testament, he uses this exact same word in his account in chapter 6. He uses the word passing. Now, what's happening in this story, which is kind of crazy, Jesus is on the same mountain that Moses is on right now, alone with God, meeting with God. The disciples are out on a boat, and a storm breaks out. And here's what happens next. And Jesus saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. In other words, they're stuck. They're stuck. They're unable. They're powerless. They're weak. They're needy. They're helpless. They can't make the boat go. They can't get to the other side. It's impossible. The text goes on to say, at about the fourth watch of the night, you know what watch that is? The last watch. This is the deepest, darkest hour of the night. When all hope is lost. When all the creatures come out. And he came to them. Walking on the sea. This is so incredible, y'all. Jesus is coming to them. He's not waiting for their prayer. He's not waiting for their obedience. He's not waiting for their love. He's not waiting for their faith. 
He's not waiting for a technique to activate him. He came walking on the water. And see, you want to know, like, well, what happens next? How does this story end? Here's what the literal translation says. He desired to pass before them. In the darkest hour of the night, in the area where it is completely dark and completely devastating and completely helpless and completely hopeless, he desired to pass before them. He desired, he's not angry, he's not stern, he's not hesitant, he's not withholding, he desired. He's not waiting for someone to activate him. He's not waiting for you to be enough and do enough. He's not waiting for you to be worthy of his mercy and his grace. He's not waiting for you to finally figure out the secret or the technique to the Christian life. He desired. Jesus, this morning, right now, wherever you are, he desires to pass before you. He desires. It's his heart. It's who he is. Mark intentionally connects the God of mercy and grace in Exodus to Jesus. So Jesus is the mercy of God. Jesus is the grace of God, right? And that Jesus is the deepest glory of God. And he desires to pass before you. What makes Jesus Jesus? He desires to pass before you. What makes Jesus Jesus? He came to you, the last watch. And he comes to you when you're helpless and hopeless in need. It's time to live the, leave the kiddie pool. It's time to leave. It's time to leave a holy and hard God that's so distant from you. It's time to leave a stern God. It's time to leave, is he God behind door number one or door number two or door number three? I'm having a hard time finding him, God. It's time to leave the God that's waiting on you to activate him, God. It's time to leave the kiddie pool. It's time to swim in the deep end. Where Jesus passes before you with mercy and with grace. Some of you are thinking, ah, but Jeff, you left off the ending. <laughs> I know you. Of course, the Lord, the Lord, the God of mercy and grace, right? Well, let's get to the ending. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visit the iniquity on the fathers and on the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I want you to notice something, though. We are going to look at that. I want you to notice something what God says first. Keeping steadfast love. This is hesed. This is that word that nobody really knows what it means. It's such a powerful word. It's such a rich word. It gets to the very deepest part of who God is. His deepest heart, his deepest glory. So they say words like, translate words like, mercy and grace, loving kindness and loyal love. Faithful love, unending love, reckless love, spontaneous love, 
spendthrifty love, extravagant grace. We don't, I mean, there's just no words to translate it, but this is what's happening. His hesed he keeps for thousands of generations. So God's mercy and grace passes before you for thousands of generations. Then God says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Do you see it? 1,000 generations of mercy and grace, three or four generations of guilt and sin. What does this mean? His mercy is more. What does this mean? His deepest glory is mercy and grace. Yeah, I'm not even, We can do more of this later. I was going to give you all the church history evidence of this. Why? I don't need to. Some of you still aren't convinced, though. You think historians have used, church theologians have used, that there's this natural and unnatural. There's this, God has natural attributes and unnatural attributes, or strange attributes. And historians have said that his natural attributes, the heart, the deepest heart of who he is, is mercy and grace. The strange part about him, the strange work about him is his wrath and his anger and his justice and his punishment, okay? But some of you aren't convinced of that. You actually think that what's natural to God, what's his deepest heart, is his anger. His wrath and his judgment. And you think what's strange to God, what's unnatural to him, is his mercy and his grace. And then Jesus passes before you. And with grace. He desired to take your guilt and sin as his own. And he desired to take your guilt and your sin as his own to the cross. And he desired to take your guilt and sin as his own to the cross to die with it. For you. You know what this means? This means that he desired to pass before you. He desired to pass before you so that God's anger and God's wrath and God's punishment and God's justice and God's judgment fell on him. Because he loves you. For thousands of generations. Because his mercy is more. Who is God really? Merciful. Gracious. He's Jesus, of course. Passing before you. 